I'm going to talk a little bit about discipleship. Now, I'm not huge on long vision series. We typically do, though, try to take the first Sunday of the year and just talk for a little bit um, about our vision and mission. Um, we believe that it's aligned with scripture, so we hope that you hear that throughout the whole year as we go through, um, go through the scriptures. But I think what can be helpful is there are times where we might use certain words or phrases and we're not necessarily all on the same page. And so what I want to do today is define for us what we mean at New Eden when we talk about making disciples. What do we mean when we say that our stated mission of New Eden Church is to make disciples or form apprentices, which might be a better word for us in our day, apprentices of the Messiah, Jesus, okay? And so what I wanna do by way of introduction as we kind of move into this is zoom out a little bit and set this conversation within the broader framework that it needs. And so um, our vision at New Eden is the flourishing of Decatur, for the good of the world and the glory of God. I could talk forever about this. If you wanna hear more about it, we did like a four week vision and mission series when we launched. You can go back on the podcast or the app and listen to that. But we get this vision from scripture, okay? If you read, excuse me, <clears throat> a little bit of congestion. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, it ends with this vision of the entire creation being restored and made new. And that's everything, okay? And that's our vision for both Decatur and the entire world to be flooded and saturated with the glory of God. And so that's big picture vision. It's God's vision. We know it's gonna happen, right? And so then we ask, what is the mission? What are we called to do? What is the part that we as Christ church play in seeing this vision accomplished? By his grace, God lets us play a part. And so the mission of New Eden Church is to make disciples who worship, abide in and reflect King Jesus in all of life. So we believe that our mission was given to us by Jesus himself in the scriptures. Go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, right? Uh, to make disciples simply means to, as he says in, I think it's Mark, preach the gospel to every creature. It is to continue declaring the good news about the life, death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus, his completed work. And we trust the spirit to make that message be effectual in the hearts of those around us. And so that's our mission to connect with New Eden is necessarily to connect with the mission of disciple making. But again, we have to define what that means. The idea of discipleship, it's a very churchy word, right? That's why I say apprentice might be a better word. But the idea of discipleship is one that has borne a fair amount of confusion down through the years, especially in our American church context that we find ourselves in. And so my goal for us is to maybe bring a little bit of clarity to this conversation. So I'm gonna break down three questions regarding discipleship. First of all, who is a disciple? Second of all, why do disciples exist? And third, what does a disciple do? So my hope is that we will leave with the gospel-centered understanding of discipleship um, today. I do have a quick recommendation. If you're interested um, in learning more about um, some of the way we think about discipleship, a great book is called The Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson. Um, highly encourage it. And I read that book like, five years ago. And so some of this, I don't know, I want to give uh, credit where credit is due. Um, and so some of this, these concepts might come uh, from that, but ultimately from the scriptures. So um, it's a helpful book, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson. Uh, so let's start by answering the question, who is a disciple? 
So I say let's start there, but actually let me start by answering uh, a little bit about what a disciple is not. It might be helpful to clear up some misconceptions. So I grew up in the church. Um, for me growing up, there was a lot of confusion around what being a disciple of Jesus meant. My natural response, if you asked me what a disciple was, it would always be to think primarily about what a disciple does, not who a disciple is. I jump really quickly to their doing before I think about their being. For example, we might say and answer the question um, that a disciple is someone who is engaged in spiritual disciplines. Um, they obey the teachings of Jesus. Maybe they took a 10-week discipleship class. We might even get to the heart and say that they, they love, that their affections, they are, uh, um, they are captured by Jesus. They love God, they love others. But my fear is that sometimes we jump immediately to the actions of a disciple without first looking at the identity of a disciple. And this is why I think a lot of us who are disciples of Jesus walk around with more guilt and shame than we do confidence in Christ. Maybe you've felt the weight of discipleship. Um, if you've ever looked at a definition of discipleship that is action-oriented and action-focused, maybe you've been confused because the reality is you don't measure up. If I'm honest, I do not wake up every morning naturally with the sole purpose of my life, seeing God's magnificent glory flood the cosmos by my involvement in making disciples. Maybe you do, awesome. But if I'm honest, my heart doesn't consistently love all the teachings of Jesus. I don't wake up every morning on the edge of my bed ready to dive into the word. My prayer life is not always vibrant and life-giving. The reality is most days, like I'm, I'm crawling out of bed, just trying to make it to work on time. If, if I'm having a good morning, I'll remember that I'm supposed to get some scripture in me. And so I'll put my phone on the audio in the corner of the shower while I'm, while I'm showering so I can hear it. But it's not long before like my mind is so distracted with all the things that I have going on that day that I'm like, oh gosh, um, I just listened to six chapters of my Bible reading and didn't, and yes, I do take long showers, but I'm like, um, <clears throat> like I just, what, I didn't even hear any of that right? Like I'm, I'm not that engaged. And like, I could give example after example of my life not lining up to what I typically think a disciple should look like, okay? And so what I want to do is ask us to be honest for a bit, to drop the facade and to be real. Because the message of God's kingdom and the good news of Jesus is only available to those who are honest about where they are. What does the gospel have to say to a jacked up broken people? See, my whole point in this is to prove that if our definitions for disciple only include what we do, our actions, instead of who we are, our being, most of us are in a lot of trouble. If all we have to offer are a bunch of new rules and disciplines, how is that good news to the follower of Jesus, the disciple whose, whose marriage is shattered, the follower of Jesus who's, who's blown it again, the follower of Jesus who has faced loss after loss as death destroys everyone around them. See, but I believe that the scriptures offer a picture of discipleship that is not primarily about a new way of doing, but it's instead about a whole new way of being. As the scriptures say, a new creation. So now that we've seen what a disciple is not, let me quickly give you a definition that I hope captures what the scriptures have to tell us about the one who is a disciple and then explain it to you. So there's a definition for you. A disciple is one who has been called, 
recreated and captivated by King Jesus. So when we talk about a disciple, it's, it's one who has been firstly called, recreated, and captivated by King Jesus. So let me quickly break this down. So what do I mean first that a disciple is one who is called? See, if we don't start with the initiation of Jesus in our lives, we can unintentionally move past the gospel to a works-based understanding of discipleship. Look at the first disciples Jesus called. They were not called because of their theological prowess. There's a reason they were fishing instead of the synagogues. They weren't smart enough. They weren't good enough. They weren't, every kid in that community wanted to be in the synagogues, learning under a rabbi. And if you didn't, you went and did fishing or something else. And that's who Jesus went after. They were ignored and looked over, but Jesus said, come apprentice with me. This was an honorable call. So of course they said, oh, okay, sure, like let's go. And it's the same with us. We weren't called because of how great we were. What does Paul say? Consider yourselves, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you, according to worldly standards, were that great, but God chose us. We didn't choose him, he chose us. Jesus clearly says this to his disciples before he went to the cross. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Most of our discipleship calls to people are choose him. And Jesus is like, I called you, I appointed you to go and produce fruit. God made the first move, not us. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And as a disciple of Jesus, we never graduate from this. Like we run back to this morning after morning, day after day. So first a disciple is one who has been called, but a disciple is also one who has been recreated or created. What do I mean by this? I mean that when Jesus calls those who are his, he does not just call them and say, here's a new list of laws to follow. He gives them a whole new heart. He brings them into the family of God, which is why you see in the epistles, a lot of that language of family instead of disciple is used. He says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. The one who is a disciple is first and foremost a disciple, not because of what he does, but rather because of the new creation that God has made him to be. See, being a disciple is not just a tweak on your current state. It's not an adjustment to your already decent life. It's not just becoming more moral and religious and introducing more discipline in your life. It is not objectively obtaining more knowledge. It is a death to life experience. It's a stony heart ripped out and replaced with a heart of flesh. It's the law of God written not on external tablets. It is written on our hearts through the power of the spirit. You can't earn your way into being a disciple. And that's how we think of discipleship most of the time. And if it's true that you can't earn your way into it, you definitely can't earn your way out of it. You might stumble along. You might be a really bad disciple like Peter. Go read it. I mean, look at the three years he's following Jesus and he's very bold and making these bold proclamations and then he doesn't follow through. I mean, we're New Year's, we're all gonna do that, right? Here's my resolutions, good luck. Look up at the end of this year. Like, but it did not change who Peter was. 
It did not change the fact that God had him in his grasp. He never lost his identity as a disciple. So a disciple is one who is called, recreated, and lastly, captivated by Jesus. What do I mean by this? This gets to our affections. We start with what Jesus has done, not with what we do. And then our response, when we see that we did not initiate our discipleship, that we could not call ourselves to follow him, he had to call us. When we realize that God has made us new and united us with Christ right now in the heavenly places, seated with him, this blows our mind. We become captivated in awe and worship by Jesus. This is what John the Baptist gets at. In John chapter one, he's got his disciples and he wants them to become disciples of Jesus. And so he's standing with two of his disciples. He sees Jesus passing by and he says, look or behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. A disciple begins first with looking, beholding the beauty and majesty of the lamb of God being captivated by his glory. Excuse me, told you I had congestion. Take a drink, try not. <laughs> Muted me, thank you. Um, so we have to start by being captivated by his glory and then the natural response is, of course we'll follow you. How could we follow anything else? So. A disciple is first and foremost one who is called, recreated, and captivated by Jesus. This leads us to the answer of our second main question. Why do disciples exist? What is their purpose? A disciple does not exist simply to become more moral, more disciplined, develop better habits, know more scripture, or be able to give a convincing evangelical presentation of a plan of salvation. Okay, those things might happen as a result of our journey of following Jesus. I'm not saying those are bad things, but it is not, those things, checking off those boxes is not why a disciple exists. That is not the end goal of a disciple. So here's my definition of why disciples exist. Disciples exist to reflect the glory of God to the world for the glory of God. See, when we are brought into the kingdom of God, when we are given a new identity, when we are captured by the glory of God, you can't keep it to yourself. We start to understand what our purpose as a disciple is. You are, like, think about this. You are saved to union with Christ, united with him, brought into the family of God, and then you are given a royal calling to spread God's kingdom and glory to the ends of the earth, empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way, concisely, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? What is the purpose of all this? So that you may proclaim the praises, the ESV says the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were saved from something for something to see God's glory proclaimed among all peoples. We can't help but desire to see that happen both in our neighborhoods and to all nations, peoples, tribes, and tongues. And so when we're captivated by him, when we start this journey at the right spot, which is focusing on what God has done, then it's, it's natural that our lives begin to not be our own. It starts to make sense that we lose our life so we can find it. 
our dreams start to get not smaller, but actually bigger. And we begin to, to move from planning for just our retirement for that, that 15 years to planning for eternity, right? And it's not bad to retire and use that. That can be something you steward for the goodness of God, for his glory. Our plans move from building a bigger house to seeing the household of faith expanded. Again, big houses aren't bad. Use them to be hospitable, host people in. Our plans move from growing our number of followers on Instagram to seeing the fame of Jesus expand, not our own, right? Like everything begins to shift. And as we ponder this, as we ponder who a disciple is and what their purpose is, we can finally start to answer the question we asked at the beginning, which is where most people start, and that is, what does a disciple do? So again, this, this is after we talk about who a disciple is what their purpose is, then we can get to this definition. So what does a growing disciple look like? A growing disciple is one who is increasingly surrendering. So one who increasingly surrenders to King Jesus and trust him to complete the work of sanctification. So surrendering and trusting. So let me break this down. And these can just be helpful metrics because if you're struggling to surrender parts of your life and trusting, the answer isn't to be like, oh, surrender more, let it go, pry my hands from this. No, no, it's again to go back to the gospel, gaze on Jesus, and naturally that stuff begins to just fall away, okay? So what do I mean though by increasingly surrendering to Jesus? This is the follower of Jesus that is so rooted in their identity that understands that their life is not their own. And because of this, they do naturally begin to relinquish control of their life. This is what Jesus gets after when he talks about picking up your cross and following me, letting your life, your plans, your things fall by the wayside and following me. And, and Jesus says, you lose your life, that's really where you're gonna find it. We begin to see Jesus as a treasure in a field, the pearl of great price, the man who was willing to sell everything, not because this stuff didn't have value, but because the treasure in the field had way more value. And so this stuff begins to just fall away and we say, it can all just go as long as I have Christ. I will give everything to know, pursue and follow him. We know that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And we know that because God gave us the best gift up front. He's not withholding from you. He's not withholding good from you. He gave you his own son at the beginning. And so we can follow him with abandon. We can surrender. And in doing all this, in surrendering our life, and yes, that means your life might start looking different. It means that things might change. It means that you might develop different habits, but you don't do any of this to earn discipleship. We simply do it because we are a disciple. We already have that. And so we increasingly surrender our lives to him. Jesus gets after this when he says, pick up your cross, follow me into death, into suffering, into loss. But even though it seems like loss, even though your outward man is perishing, I will renew your inner man day by day because it is my work. We don't continue the journey of faith any different than the way we came. We bring nothing to the table. Paul says it this way, Colossians 2, 6. So then just as you have, have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to walk in him. 
How did you receive him? Helpless, empty, with nothing. And you just come and say, I need help. That is how you walk in him. Your sanctification is not now, okay, Christ, you justify me. Now let me take it from here. You can't do that. We surrender that to him and walk in him. That's why it's called a fight of faith, not a fight of works. We hear fight and we're like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make my sanctification happen. Like we're ready to go. That's what we think. A fight of faith, it's a fight to believe and let go and say, I trust you, I surrender. You can't, but Jesus has, he is, and he will do the work. And so we surrender. But how can you know that Jesus is really good when he calls you to lose your life. That's not normal. Like you want a bunch of followers, a bunch of people to follow. You don't start by saying, hey, give up everything you have. That's not normal. How do we know when he calls us to lose our life, to walk into death and suffering and loss? How do we know he's good in that? Because he is not asking us to do anything he did not first do himself. He was the one who came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. When he's given all authority from the father, he takes that power and he doesn't abuse it. Instead, he bends down and he washes the feet of his disciples, including the one who was going to betray him in just a few short hours. He was the one who first walked the path of shame, guilt, brokenness, humiliation, death, and defeat. And he was the one who willingly allowed himself to be tortured on a Roman cross for our sin. He didn't deserve it. He is the perfect disciple. He perfectly trusts his father. He surrendered his whole life to his father, but instead he took on our punishment. And in the great exchange, we gain his righteousness. He became sin for us who knew no sin, willingly entered into that so that we might become his righteousness. This is the good news of the gospel. And when you and I don't measure up as disciples, when you and I day after day find ourselves distracted by lesser idols and we make commitments and we don't follow through and here we are again and we fail to live out our identity as a worshiper of Jesus, he measures up perfectly on our behalf through great sacrifice. This is how you can trust him and know he's good. It's the same old gospel, same old story, but it's got new power every morning for you and I in our journey of discipleship as we follow the well-worn path of surrender to King Jesus. So a growing disciple is one who is increasingly surrendering or relinquishing all of life to the good rule and reign of King Jesus. And he's also one who's trusting Jesus to finish the work he started. Trust is actually at the core of surrender. Here's the thing. If Jesus called you to lose your life with no hope, if he called you to enter into death, suffering and surrender with zero resurrection hope, as Paul says, we would be of all men most to be pitied. We might as well pack up and go home. You might as well live your life, make your own plans. If resurrection doesn't happen, like this is, this is a joke. Like to call people to die, to call people to suffer. Like we don't do that without resurrection hope, but there is a resurrection. Jesus, again, walked this road first. You see him on the cross, what does he do? He trusts his father and he says, into your hands, father, I give you my spirit. He prayed and then he died. What is he doing there? He's trusting. He's saying, it's yours. I trust you. I'm dying, but I trust you with your plan. 
He knew that resurrection hope awaited. And he trusted that his father was going to finish the work he had started before the foundations of the world. And that's what happens on the third day. He gets back out of the grave and sin is crushed. The evil one is forever vanquished. And this is a hope, the hope of a disciple. The growing disciple of Jesus will walk in trust. You can't take your discipleship into your own hands. You are not the one that started the work of discipleship. You most certainly will not be the one to complete it. And that's actually free because we know that our sanctification and eternal glorification does not rest in our hands. If it did, that's a tired life to live. That's why Jesus offers rest. We are not sanctified by trying harder, doing more, finally getting it right, finally being disciplined enough. New year, new me, right? No. The same old you. You can't make yourself into a new creation. You can try. You can develop more discipline and habits. Nothing wrong with that. If you shared that on Facebook, I'm sorry. Um, but here's my point. The only way we can really change real transformation is by looking to Jesus, not by staring at your sin or your failures. It is gazing on him. Hebrews 12.1 says this, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside. So there are calls. This is biblical. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. How? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. That's the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. He started it. He's going to finish your story, the perfecter of our faith. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this to the church. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2022 might have been an utter, utter failure, who cares? Christ is working in you and he will do it. How could Paul say this with confidence? Philippians 2.13, it is God who is working in you. Here's another one, Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to receive this, saints, to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. How are you going to stand before him in the end? Without blemish and with great joy. And that is a day we long for. And I could literally go on and on and on just quoting promises from the sacred scriptures about God finishing the work for his saints. Of course you'll stumble. Of course you'll fall. But we have hope because it is God that is working. And you are measured not based on your work, but based on the work of Christ. You don't need more self-help, more ways to clean up your act. You need more Jesus. Beholding, gazing on him. And for the downtrodden and those beat up by life, there is hope. We see, look and live. Even a child can look, gaze, and that's where life comes. That's where transformation happens, beholding his glory. Our only hope is looking to Christ. And this is when we get to the heart of discipleship. Christ-likeness, reflection, not morality, not simply discipline, not but, but like actually worshiping King Jesus is one of the ways we say it, abiding in King Jesus day by day and then reflecting him because of the work that he's done in us. Our hope is in Jesus alone. That's why a growing healthy disciple will be one of the most humble, dependent Christians you'll ever meet. As the old catechism says, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is discipleship.
So, said all that, sermon's over. You're gonna give me a little bit more time to talk about something else now. The sermon time's over, all right? So I just wanna take like three to five minutes um, and just talk a little bit about some practical ways to grow in looking to Jesus. Everything I said, discipleship, our identity, grace is not opposed to us having gospel-centered working out our salvation, okay? What God has already done in us, living that out. And, and God even gives us what I call means of grace in this journey. Things like his word, things like prayer, things like communion with the saints, things like taking communion and his sacraments. These are all means of grace for us. These reminders, these, as, as the nation of Israel did when they would put stones of remembrance there to remind themselves how good God was. That's what these are for. It's just to continually point us to Jesus in everything that we do. So this is not a to-do list. These are opportunities for rhythms that might help you. Don't think that everything I mentioned, I'm gonna mention some personal uh, things and then some communal church-wide things. You don't need to engage in all of these. You can't, it's fine. Everybody's different. You need to find what it is for you. Um, and so, yeah, we're all different. I just wanna make sure you guys know what the opportunities are. So, um, all right. A few things for you personally, and then I'll move to the more communal corporate aspect of this, okay? So, um, one thing that might be helpful for you in this journey of gazing at Jesus is abiding practices. You might've heard them called spiritual disciplines. Um, I like the term abiding practices better. Um, again, there is nothing wrong with disciplines of taking in scripture in your life and setting aside times to pray and commune with God. Those are, are good things. And so um, as long as we understand what those are for. So um, scripture intake, um, Bible reading plans can be helpful. You might've seen them when you came in. On the back there, I've got like five different plans. Um, there's some that are like go at your own pace, which is what I have to use. I can't use a weekly one because I get behind so quick and then I just feel guilty and then I just give up. So I use a go at your own pace plan. There's one back there. It's literally just got every chapter of the Bible as a box. I pick a book. I work my way through it over the course of however long it takes. I check off the boxes as I'm done. And then I, and, and I take scripture in, and I've always given this as an example. I take it in more in chunks. I'm kind of like, a, I wouldn't read a real book by like, all right, I'm gonna read one page a day for the next year and I'm gonna get through this book. Like, I don't engage with books that way. So I don't engage with the Bible that way. There's nothing wrong with that. There's actually a chapter a day plan where you work through the Bible in three years. There's nothing wrong with that discipline. For me, I kind of read it like I would a book, which is about three or four times a week. I'm sitting down and reading. Um, and that might be in the evenings on my Kindle. It might be in the mornings. And I'm reading maybe 10 to 12 chapters sometimes at a time. I'm just reading till, till I'm done and I check off whatever I finish and I meditate on that, right? That really until the last couple hundred years, we didn't have individual copies of the Bibles for everyone to have. Um, people would go hear the scriptures re read and then meditate on it. So I'm just saying that to alleviate you of guilt. Now you should meditate on this day and night. Like we can talk about that. I'm not giving you an out to like, oh, who cares? What I'm saying is that everybody's different. For you, a daily discipline of sitting down every single morning and reading that one chapter, that might be best. It might be listening to it on the way to work. I don't know. You can go find apps. You can go find Bible reading plans everywhere on the internet. Um, I'm not gonna talk forever about that, but you can go find some plans there in the back if you'd like. Again, there's multiple different kinds. Some that are like five days a week, so you have a little bit of room if you miss. Some are every day. Um, some are go at your own pace. There's some chronological ones, which can be really fun. Because if you try to just say, I'm gonna read through it, and then you get to Leviticus and you're like, screw this. Um, it's hard. So it's great sometimes to be helpful to kind of go back and forth, um, New Testament, Old Testament. So there's a bunch back there. Feel free to grab them. Also prayer. Um, not going to talk forever about this, but 
Set some time to talk to the Spirit. Talk to them as you go as well throughout the day. Um, and uh, there is a resource back there. I just randomly had like seven books called Pray in the Bible. If you struggle to pray for any length of time, you're like, man, I said I was gonna pray 15 minutes and I couldn't get two and I felt like it was an hour. That is a very helpful resource, okay? Um, very helpful resource, very simple, very accessible. Those are free. First, however many people, I don't know how many there are. I just grabbed them and threw them back there. You can take those when you leave, okay? Um, rhythms of trust for you and your life personally. Maybe consider fasting periodically. Doesn't just have to be from food. Could be from social media. Could be from other things. The opportunity for that is to say, hey, I'm fasting on this to feast on Christ. Uh, we might talk more about fasting as we head into Easter. Um, also, giving of resources, that, is, that should be a worshipful thing, not just a thing where we're like, oh, okay, I, I have to do this. Let me you know, write the tithe check or whatever, right? And it's not just money. It includes money, but it's time, it's energy, it's your gift sets, the things that you bring to the table. Many of you serve here through that. Um, that's I want you guys to see that as worship because it really is, okay? The word service and worship in the Old Testament is super intertwined. Um, so time and energy giftings, if you wanna give to the mission of New Eden, uh, we don't talk about that much, um, but if you want to, we do have needs. You can set up recurring. And the way I do it, I forget, we would forget, so we set up recurring giving. And when I see the email that comes through, hey, thank you for your recurring gift, um, I'm like, I take a moment and just see it as worship. Right? And so that's something we do. And so um, you can give in person on the app, website, whatever. Those are some personal things. But you're not meant to do this alone, okay? This is why we need each other. So a few things that we offer as a church, what we call discipleship opportunities or discipleship environments. Basically, we, we can't, this is God's work, um, but we can't offer what some you know, churches might call their programs, their methods, their structures. All these we hold with an open hand. God can change them, shift them, adjust them as he sees fit. Um, but these are things that at New Eden that we have like regular rhythms and opportunities for you to engage. And so I'm gonna quickly go through these and then we're done. Sunday gathering, how do you engage? Just show up, you're already here, right? Um, if you're watching the live stream, that's not to make you feel guilty. Um, but, but the point is, it's not about showing up every week, every time the doors are open, no matter what, but it is about regular rhythm of engaging. And, and our hope here is that everything we do, songs we sing, um, the, the, the scripture we read, um, the fellowship, the prayer, the sacraments, all this is reminding us of Jesus. And so it's that kind of ballast in our ship that keeps us steady um, through, the, through the waves of life, okay? So how do you engage the Sunday gathering? Just come on. It's here every Sunday at 10, except the last Sunday of the year, all right? And then um, community. How do you engage deeper in community? What are some relational opportunities? Well, we have what we call missional community groups. Um, you might have heard small groups, life groups, a lot of different terms. We are intentional with the name missional community. Um, I'm not gonna go into all that, but they are essentially groups of anywhere from like eight adults to about 20 adults, um, if they start getting big, uh, that meet in homes typically sometime throughout the week. They typically meet on a weekly rhythm. Um, that provides a, a little bit deeper level of connection and care. So um, they are on mission together um, in each other's lives and in the world around them. And then also just being family together, caring for each other, learning the scriptures together. There's some rhythms we have. So if you're in a missional community, awesome. If you're not and you're interested, please let us know. We'd love to connect you. Next step, there's a sign-up sheet in the back for all the, almost all these things I'm talking about. Just write your name and email, phone number. I'll follow up with you and say, hey, let's help get you connected and I can talk to you about that. Some of you have already connected organically and that's awesome. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. So um, missional community groups. One thing we're introducing now, we're gonna call them growth partnerships. Uh, some of you might've heard language like fight clubs or DNA groups. 
basically not, not like the movie Fight Club, but um, yeah, anyways, I don't know what your uh, spiritual background is, but um, basically these are gender-based groups of two to four people who gather regularly for the purpose of pursuing gospel transformation in their lives. Um, that could be weekly, could be every other week, whatever that small group decides. We're calling them partnerships because um, we're okay with just one-on-one, two people getting together and processing. Um, it's, it provides the deepest level of connection. So things like confessing addictions to pornography, things like that, that's, that's the place where that will happen because it doesn't always happen on the missional community level. And that's, that's okay. It shouldn't necessarily happen there, okay? Um, you can go through the Bible together, a book together, we're going to be rolling out resources to help get you started. So if you're interested in either, you, you might have someone you want to do it with and you ask them, hey, do y'all want to start a growth partnership? Still let us know. We can help get you started and give you some resources to get it going. And then you guys, we don't micromanage those. Um, but also if you're like, hey, I don't know. I'd love to be in one of those. I'd love to be poured into or I'd love to mentor someone else. Um, and Or I'd love to just engage. That's why we call it a partnership. Um, we're always growing. So um, write your name down there and I will follow up with you and just talk to you about what that might look like and get you connected. So again, sign up sheet. We also, on all this stuff, you can go on our website or the app, look under groups, fill out an interest form there, and that works as well if there's too many people back there because I know you all are going to run back there afterwards. All right. Um, serve teams. Um, if you want to engage in serving, we have different serve teams that are here on Sundays. We have New Eden Kids. We have coffee and communion set up before the service. We have a welcome team that greets people. We have a media team that runs lyrics and sound. And then we have a music team that helps lead. Um, if you're interested in joining a serve team, you're not sure where to start, talk to me. Uh, but there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Again, all this stuff is just saying you're interested. Um, Want to let you know of pressing needs, new eating kids. We could use four teachers and three assistants. I know that sounds like a lot. Um, but um, we could use some more as we head into the new year. Let me, teaching is not hard in New Eden Kids. We have all the resources for you. Uh, I don't know if Jess would want me to say this, but she's not in here. You can show up at 9.30 and just read over it real quick. Everything's ready to go. You don't have to do like a lot of prep before. People think like I'm teaching a Sunday school class where I got to study for like two hours that week. It's great if you read it before. You don't have to though. We have all the resources ready for you. Don't let that intimidate you. It's nobody older than second grade back there. So, and then also some assistance to just help and float back there. Um, and coffee and communion, we could use a couple more people for that team as well. So Clint likes making coffee and communion, but he's doing it about every week now. So we're trying to get him a break. He didn't even know I was going to say that, but he didn't ask for that. <laughs> but those are the two teams where I, we probably have the most like pressing needs. Um, but if other teams you want to join as well, fill that out. All right. Local mission and global mission. Just keep praying with us. We don't have any like formal local mission partners, but we're praying through some. Um, we encourage you guys to consider your everyday, what you're already doing in your schools, education, whatever your lives look like. Do that with gospel intentionality. I've gone way too long. Last thing, learner opportunities. Um, we do want to create active learning environments. And so we're considering introducing, um, we would like to do this this year in 2023, maybe in the fall, uh, a topical class, um, or sorry, the spring, a topical class, um, maybe one or two of those, and then would love to introduce some Bible studies in the fall. Don't hold me to that, but that's the hope. If we can get those going, just places for you guys to come in and actively engage with uh, the scripture or a specific topic. Um, and if you want to be a member, um, put your name on the interest sheet back there as well. We'll follow up with you. Make that easy. That's it.